We're going to be in chapter 10 of 2 Kings. Reading substantially to understand what's going on, but to in brevity simply say this was a champion of the Lord. He was a man tagged by God specifically to be drafted out of the army and to become a part of an action, and we might say mercenary, with no mercy. He was assigned to bring a judgment upon the godless. He did so effectively. He did so with others who coordinated by the Spirit to see that what he asked of people concerning the routing of the enemies of God would be satisfied in what we also could term as a vengeance of the Lord. Let's go ahead and read, and then we'll go ahead and get precise. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to the ru- to elders and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons. Set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who has or who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, and we will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel. By this time tomorrow, you can kind of read not only between the lines, but in the lines that have been given, that the judgment is against Ahab's household because it was prophesied that Jehu indeed would be the one that would enact that. He's testing the heart of those who were overseeing those men. There's seven of them, they're men. And to see that as they would have certainly had the sentiment to have spared them because of their alliance with them, you're seeing that God has touched their heart and they have the fear of God through Jehu to not do anything less than to turn them over as Jehu has requested. The request basically is that their heads would be taken. Some can say that sounds so brutal, but from God's perspective, it's simply a picture that he gives to us. The cranial, the head that we call on the top of our bodies, contain the largest organ 
of our bodies. Some argue that the skin is. Well, I suppose the skin, if stretched out, would have the appearance. But this in mass is a large organ. And at times, unfortunately, it does what its carnal inclination is to do, and that's to compel the body to do contrary to what God's will is. Long and short, it's a picture. It goes back all the way to what Moses had been assigned to do, which was to appoint 70 elders to help him govern over 3 million people, perhaps as many as 6 million, men, women, and children included. And so the 70 elders of Israel did so, not necessarily perfectly, but they did so obediently. And Moses, not necessarily leading perfectly, but he led obediently. Seventy men chosen from Israel would now have on the other side of this, seventy who would be judged for following in the ways of their father. It doesn't tell us how they followed in the ways of their father. It would indicate simply even on level that it could have been just by genealogy alone. But God's making a statement right now that that's the very reason that sin had to be dealt with and why God chose to deal with it based on giving himself up to the consequence of sin, which is death, because it is costly. Seventy elders simply represent, from Moses' perspective, ministers that had the heart and the same spirit that he had in serving the Lord. Seventy sons indicate that they had the heart and the spirit of their father. It was a carnal lineage comparatively and far distant from a spiritual lineage. There's an important thing to say there. For the church gets pointed at for being as hypocritical as the culture, but it is not true. It's not simply about hypocrisy. It's about the encroaching and the expression of the sin nature that every one of us battle. Well, we are to be battling it. That's why God has us read his word that our heads are dealt with, that our minds are transformed by the spirit of God. These heads are subject to persuasions that are demonic and will ultimately affect the outcome of what God's best intentions are for us. And God makes that position clear by having these heads cut off, no longer able to influence those bodies to work any longer against the will of God. Though ruthless, we would say, it doesn't even compare to a judgment that is pending. And though nobody likes to hear the doomsday message that indeed has been at times akin to what God shall do, it will be a final work of God in punishing those who reject his son, Jesus Christ. And it's their choice it ultimately would have been the choice of any one of these sons to have changed. That maybe from the inside to the outside, 
they could have affected something that wouldn't have to them now rendered the consequence of death. Choice is important. Jehu made a choice that he would carry out the mission of God, which meant cleaning house. And so the way that we also take this scripture seriously is that we ask the Lord, Lord, clean my house. My mind has separated itself from you by either whom I am allowing to influence me. I have made decisions with this mind and what this body will do, and it's contrary to what your body is to be doing. Lord, forgive me. When we transact with honesty and vulnerability, confession, which takes place when we do communion, God accepts that both graciously and affirmatively because we remembered his work in basically dying in our place. We have our heads today because the head of our faith, Jesus Christ, took the penalty of sin upon himself. That's why we were left with the head. It doesn't function perfectly. Jesus' head does. He's head of the church. His mind was always stayed on the Father's will. These men are going to be used as examples of what happens to the sinner generationally. Nothing's changed. When disobedience was expressed by Adam and Eve, God had told them in the day thereof that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And in fact, the facts are death prevailed. Jesus came and by his death and resurrection, life prevails. That's the lesson you want to understand here. Does it stop? It continues. He's got some more cleaning to do. These men right now satisfied what Jehu required of them. The heads were delivered. People in that area know that something's going down. The question is, are they looking up? Are they going to be, if you would, instilled with the fear of God? And are they going to make a pact with Jehu that says, I am on your side. I wasn't, but I'm on your side now. You're serious about what it is you've said. We've read your telegrams. We've heard the oracles go forth. Forth, We've seen the consequences. We're on your side. Have mercy on us. And did you know that in fact, the principle of mercy does prevail even in the continuity of judgment? When there is mercy that is appealed to God to be rendered to a man, a woman in judgment, the compassion of God yields to the integrity of that confession and they're spared. The only exception is when mercy is not asked for and when obedience is refused. That's it. Anyone who was not spared by God chose not to seek the Lord with all their heart, soul, 
mind and strength and to serve him, not in their carnality, but in their spirituality. The king's son, 70 persons were with great men of the city who were rearing them. And so it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and they slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets and sent them to him at Jezreel. Then a messenger came and told him saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons and he said, lay them in the two heaps at the entrance to the gate until the morning. It was basically a detriment. This is what has happened. It happened because of who they were and what they did not do. Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. They anchor this back on a word that a great prophet had spoken. Ahab's house shall fall, and God is going to clean it up. Period. And of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left him none remaining. They all suffered the same outcome, which was death. Because they had nothing to do with God. Well, so where does the title come in, the boo-boo of Jehu? He so far is being magnified for being a magnificent marshal of God. He is. And men will be noted for what they did do obediently before God. But it does not mean that in the areas where they failed, there will not be an accounting for that unless there has been forgiveness asked of that. There is an accounting that God will expect. And the only one who can give that accounting with a clean slate is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how it works. I just don't want a movie in heaven published that everybody gets invited to watch all of my gaffes and work on their third basket of popcorn doing so. I used to have a fear about heaven with regard to my sins being a major movie until I realized that he took those sins and he chose not to publish them and he asserted himself to say, I've cleaned up the script. You've sought me with a whole heart. You've confessed me without reservation. It's blotted out. I remember them no more. You will, and you'll have to deal with those memories by letting me remind you they are not for publication. They are not for remembrance to any. And so as this drama unfolds and as a man is commended by what we see that he's doing, whether you like it or not, he is an instrument of God at this time of taking care of the godless. What I want you to take note of in the time that remains is there are two things right now that are in play 
for Jehu. There is polity, which is simply the manner and means by governance. He was a civil servant. He was a military man. He basically was paid to do battle. He had with that the closeness of a king whom he served. But that's what we call polity, the governance of individuals by institutions and whatever you might find yourself employed by. Most of us don't have a military background, though we are acquainted with those who indeed are of the military. But this was Jehu. He had his roots in polity or governance by being a man of the military. To that extent, the Lord could entrust him to do battle for himself. But we have also the other prospect on this, which is probably where more, more of us fall into line. And it's another word that is kind of tricky for us, and that's piety. And that means simply a reverence, a leaning in the spirit towards godliness. So polity, governance, and piety, godliness. We have at times those two competing for our attention because of influencers in our life. And so what we are to come away with this is, Lord, I so easily am influenced by personality that has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. And it has to do with my vulnerability to please others but you. So what do we do if that's where some of us are at? We say, Lord, forgive me. I'm tuning them out. I'm letting them go. I am not going to subject myself to the corruption of where I know my heart's at. It's not polity. I know that we have elections. I know that people are in place. I know that I am governed by those in institutions, but that's not where I want to be. I don't want to be there, Lord. At the same time, I have challenges too in my piety, at times thinking far more of myself because of my walk with you. And I can exalt myself far too much above my brothers and sisters, thinking less of them. It's this, at times, compression and expansion of just who we are, both in vulnerability and also sincere strength that God's given to us. Jehu right now is one of these guys. He's doing a mission out of polity, but he's doing a mission out of piety. His nature is to get it done, seriously take charge, take people out. That's what he was fashioned for. And yet, 
he has now the balance of needing to be spirit-governed to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, not to control simply people and their opinions of God and what ultimately they are going to do with his message, but he himself needs to be one who doesn't let go of his godliness, his reverence for the one who's called him into this position. That's what this is essentially about when we look at the judgment on the 70. He takes out another wicked despot. As Ahab's 70 sons have been judged, it moves into Ahaziah's 42 brothers. Verse 12, he arose and departed and went to Samaria and on the way at Beth Ekled of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, who are you? And so they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah, and we have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth Akkad, 42 men, and he left none of them. Why? Because they were the other version of what Ahab's sons were. And they had no more justification in sticking out their right hand of fellowship than the 70 that were killed for being in lineage with Ahab. It doesn't work. They, in this case, were applying it polity, governance. Well, we're in a royal line too. We'll just stick out our right hand and make things right. We'll sound right. We'll exercise diplomacy. We'll shake hands with whomever is sharing the stage with us. And so they were judged. Continues to move on because Ahab's family is still right now in the fringes. And now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right, as my heart is towards your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is, Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. This is another right hand of fellowship. It does have a difference, though, in this because he's bringing somebody along who's going to witness another judgment that's pending. And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And so they had him ride in this chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Justification, why did he do it? Because it's the word of the Lord to Elijah. He's exercising obediently his position as a judge. It moves on. He's going after the false priesthood. And then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. What a statement. What does that mean? So it does 
have some telling information. But it also has, if you would, kind of something unsuspecting. It tells us that there will be something in Jehu's heart that will not permit him by choice of doing everything that God expected of him. But it also tells us that he's utilizing right now a means by which he can get in to the deep state. There are protections right now in place for the worship of Baal. Nobody wants the priesthood of Baal to be touched by anyone who is serving God. And so Jehu knows that. And he has to come up with a means by which in cunning he permits himself to be perceived as one of them as opposed to the judge that he will be of them. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. So this is now inspiring them. Oh, Jehu. We've heard a lot about him. This is interesting. It seems like he's turning his heart towards us. He's not a man to be messed with. What he's saying attracts us. What we know of him offends us. But it appears we ought to have an assembly. Who knows? This could be a great moment for the priesthood of Baal. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. I'm going to put these guys in uniform. We're not going to get mixed up as to who they are. See, you're in uniform too. Because you've come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, whom God gave as his only son, God robed you in the righteousness of Jesus. You're not in costume. You're in uniform. These guys are in costume. They're going to be recognized for what they are not. They are not God-fearing people. They are godless. They are worshiping a perverted idol. It is the means and manner by which Israel was corrupted by those kings which preceded them. The priesthood is still nevertheless held accountable. But you need to understand, am I one of those Baal worshipers? Is my vestiment that which is perverted? I don't think so. You wouldn't be here today. But I say I don't think so because I want to know so with regard to is the word of the Lord speaking to you? There are some who sit in churches and behave as though they are saved, but their vestiment is contrary. I'm pretty confident that as a Baptist, some points in my life, I had a vestment that was not necessarily what God wanted me to wear. 
but I have a huge confidence that I never became godless. I just came really close to it. Really close to it. Kind of like the Joker. Really close to it. He said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. What is this as a comforting time for you? Because I'm talking about judgment. And so if you're sitting here sweating it out, it either means you don't have a relationship with God or you're misunderstanding this picture. You're being assured right now that God knows how to sort whom are his and whom are not his. Though we are in this world, the Lord knows us for who we are. We're his. Even if you don't believe it, the word of God says that is true. You are saved by faith. Not by works. It's not a result of works that any one of us can boast. We're saved by God's work on the cross, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who identified with us and went to the cross in our place to save us. And this is a beautiful picture of saying you're not going to be confused. When Jesus comes, you get to go with the church. If you go before the church is caught up, you have the assurance that Paul cites to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You don't have to doubt. Doesn't matter how your body is left behind in the blink of an eye as river is so wonderfully taught in one billionth of a second. You're in the presence of the Lord, shedding this tent and in paradise with him. He promised that even to the thief that was crucified next to him because in that man's hour of need, instead of hurling accusations and defamations to the Lord, he said, Lord, when you enter your kingdom, can I come? And the Lord said, most assuredly, you shall be with me in paradise this day. It had nothing to do with works had nothing to do with baptism. He couldn't make up for his thievery. He was condemned, what we would say exactingly by Rome itself, dead for what he had done in sin and trespass against Rome and against his neighbors. Jesus said, on the contrary, you shall be with me in paradise this day. What a promise. Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside. And he said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. God was serious that none of these guys get away. And that was a means by which he could inspire them. Your job is to make sure nobody gets away who has violated the ordinances of the Lord and caused Israel to sin. And it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal, burned them. 
And they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuge dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Note this, verse 29, Jehu's boo-boo. Jehu did not turn away. Notice it starts out, however. Jehu did not turn away. However. Richard did not turn away. However, whomever did not turn away. And that's important. The decision that we make to follow the Lord requires a turning away, not a returning to, but a turning of away. Do you ever have trouble returning to that which you turned away from? Of course you do, right? Because if not, then I'm talking to perfect people. But there's only one perfect, and that's Jesus Christ, meaning that we battle with ourselves, even in the decisions that we've made to follow him, what are we going to do that that might indeed have greater accuracy? We continue to turn to him. We continue to seek him in this place of prayer, a house of worship. We continue to remain transparent about our own vulnerabilities. We have dialogue with God that says, Lord, you are Lord, I am not. I'm your servant. I'm a servant that messed up. I'm a servant that exalted myself above you. I'm a servant that got confused because I was listening to too many publications. When all your word was sufficient, I chose to be persuaded by philosophies and opinions and lies that are perpetuated almost ceaselessly in my ears and before my eyes. Lord, cleanse me. What does he do? Cleanses you. Our nation needs a cleansing, but you know what? The church gets it. Every time the church chooses to assemble, you're cleansed. You get to leave here cleansed. Some of you may say, today is the day I really want to be cleansed. I, I, I want to go in public record to be sincerely cleansed today. Good news. The Blue Jordan's right over there. I called in Rick especially because I muffed it trying to get it heated. I caused it to lose its prime. I couldn't get it back. I texted Rick and said, Lord, you know, my idea is just to have this available to any who would desire to be baptized today. So I left a text for Rick. Rick got back to me back home. He said, I got it figured out, got it working for you. I said, good, get it hot, really hot. No, not for judgment, for comfort. I wanted it really hot for comfort. I talked to John too, and he said, cold's good. I said, cold could be good. Because he swims the river. Cold's good for him. I lean more towards, I like a hot tub feel. Pond. Why? Because there may be people, as we've seen in the times past, that want to make a declaration. I've turned to the Lord, and I do not want to turn to the world. I want to let it go. So Jehu's boo-boo was simply this. There was a little bit more of polity in his life than there was in piety. And if I had to err, I'd rather be considered too pious than full of polity. How I've been such a good governor, how I've been such an influencer, and decisions about what people make, but not make for the Lord, just decisions that people make. 
Jehu had just a little bit too much taste of governance. And rather than asking that the Lord lead him to be governed in a manner in which judgment would be suspended, it just didn't seem to transact. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, the son of Nabat, who had made notice this Israel's sin. That's essentially what he did. Jeroboam had an opportunity to lead with precision, and he failed, as Rehoboam did. Failure was on them, not on God. God gave them the opportunity. God gives us the opportunity. We can fail only because we chose to ignore the opportunity and the responsibility. And so it says simply this, the golden calves were left in place at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, notice this. It's a compliment from God in spite of what he did. Notice this. Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. This is what we call grace. He didn't do everything that he should have done, but he's acknowledged by God for doing well in what he did do. Do you understand that counts as well? You're not going to do everything that you pledged to God you would do, but God has taken note of what you have done well, and you need to understand it's important for that, even to the generation that will surpass you. He has not forgotten one thing that you have done well for him, even though you may have others that say, but they missed on this. They didn't do that. I caught him in this. God says, you did well in the things that my heart required needed to be done. You did well. Because the Lord will welcome us into heaven and he will welcome us in with that. A statement regarding what it is he saw us do in faithfulness to the charge that was before us. So one of the things you need to know is the enemy will whisper to you, you're worthless. You didn't do all the things that you promised God you would do. You think you're getting into heaven? You think that you're going to be blessed? You think that your family's going to prosper? God acknowledges, and that's why Jesus took the penalty of sin for us, which is death. And that's why he's given us his spirit, a spirit that resides within us, a spirit that has been a marker for us, a redemptive inheritance. The price has been paid. But notice this, and this is sobering, and this is where we are brought to today. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, verse 32, and Hezekiah conquered them in all the territory of Israel. So he's the guy that Elisha said, oh, I'm, my heart's breaking for right now. You getting this appointment to be king because of what you're going to do to my people. That's that guy, is this guy. He's all of a sudden on the scenes and he's going to be doing what Elisha's heart was breaking for. All because of what Jehu had left undone and that was in his life. There are consequences. 
but it does not at all diminish the work of God to minister grace and mercy. It is never part of doctrine that all of a sudden because of a man's errors, grace and mercy are suspended. Compassion is no longer afforded. That's a lie. We need to be those who say, Lord, I want to have grace and mercy and compassion exercised in my life for let alone the failings that you have forgiven in my life, the vestments that I get to wear in Jesus in spite of my failures. You haven't ripped them off of me. You've sutured them back on me. And so the death of Jehu leaves with it a judgment in which Israel's going to get picked on and from the Jordan eastward and from the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben and Manasseh from Eros, there is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu, notice this, rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. It leaves it with the closing. His life is over. So the thing to remember here is that our lives are a breath. The word of the Lord tells us that. What are we doing to make it count? What are we doing to change the trajectory of people in our family, in our association? What do we do? So just one, you know... One phrase, one phrase that I think will have a picture for you, and that would be, cut it out and burn it up. That's the phrase, cut it out and burn it up. The picture that Abraham was given by God to obey, the first thing that we were able to see was a decision to follow him, and the word that he heard was true in his heart, and he followed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The word that you hear the word that concerns how you are to go, the things that you are to leave behind, those words are the words in which God says, awesome, righteous in my sight because you believed. But what does the term cut it out mean? Israel through Abraham was assigned to the males to undergo circumcision, which was a sign of the cutting away of the flesh. Here's what happens, though, in today's churches. We're all about, if you would, the burning it up. Lord, bring down your fire. Lord, let us have a Holy Spirit high in empowerment. He's willing to do that, and he'll do it in spite of the fact that very often we get it wrong. We're refusing to cut out in our life, that which is carnal, in order to bypass it, which costs us something, in order to have the experience of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will visit. Even if what we did not want to do, which was covenant with God, and to live a life that was being perfected by God. So the phrase here that even Jehu could have understood is cut it out. I understand your heart for worship. I'm a worshiper too. 
But God always says, start with the covenant. The flesh in you, Rich, needs to be dealt with daily. Cut it out. Well, Lord, I did that last week. I know you did it last week. But what about in the last hour? Lord, you're right. You are dead to right. And he goes, yes, I did die for your right. Cut it out, Rich. So then I get calls and it's people saying, I can't cut it out. Yes, you can. It's, that's what is our reasonable service unto the Lord is to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. If I'm a living sacrifice, there's something that is required of me in coming into agreement with God. I'm a living sacrifice. And so even though I may need to cut it out, God's the one that comes then in complement to that, and he burns it up. When Abraham was in distress, Lord, what is going to happen to me? He says, I'm going to make you a covenant. And so you go get this, and you go get that, and you kill them and present them to me as a sacrifice. The only thing that remained that didn't get cut were doves, and they were broken. It's a picture of the spirit. The spirit of a man needs to be broken. And the spirit of God will come in and make whole and restored. But back in that text of scripture, 15, 16, and 17 of Genesis, you'll see the life of Abraham unfold in which he's all in for God, even though we know there will be episodes in which he stepped out of God's will, just like you have but how he chose to honor God in spite of his own frailties, God esteemed and made a nation from him. That's not being taken away from any of us. The principle of Jehu's boo-boo is that he didn't cut it out in a time in which, by precision, he was cutting off heads. But he didn't allow it to be for him in its entirety. There's nothing that suggests he lost salvation. He was commended by God. There is a suggestion that he lost some reward because he didn't do it all. Burn it up. We have to take ourselves to that place of sacrifice first in which we cut it out. Whatever the sin is, we cut it out. Then God says, I'm partnering with you now and I'm burning it up. It'll have no effect on your life, no influence on the steps that you take forward. And even if somebody brings it up, it's gone like a flame. It's burned to ash. And from that ash, I will bring beauty. Jehu's boo-boo is any of our boo-boos too. The question is, who will we be when ultimately our last breath is drawn were there episodes that we missed? Could be. Might be. But in Jesus, rest assured, you get to go where he is because he told the guy on the cross next to him, this day, you didn't get a chance to make up for your sins, but I'm beside you and I'm bringing you into paradise with me this day. <laughs>